0: Hello and welcome to Women With Books. I'm your host, author Lindsay Emery. I'm really pleased to bring you this interview this week with author and coach Becca Syme. Um, in the last 18 months, I've taken three courses with her through her Better Faster Academy. And like I say in the when I'm talking to her, I really wish I could remember who recommended the first class to me uh, because I would love to just go back in time and say thank you so much <laughs> for starting me down this path. Um, Becca has so much insight into just psychology, both from readers and writers and, and everyday modern Americans. And she's taught me so much. And I knew that there would probably be some amazing wisdom that she could share with my audience here at Women With Books. She's a multi-genre author. She coaches authors. She coaches all sorts of people actually. And, um, she, I think you'll agree. And i would love to hear back from you after you hear this, that a lot of what she says has so much applicability to all of us. Um, This being an American holiday week, I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you are an an American celebrating Thanksgiving, I hope you enjoy this podcast on a long drive to friends or family, uh, or maybe while you're washing up after a big dinner, just put the headphones on. and uh, focus on something else other than greasy plates or maybe you'll listen while you're on a long walk to, walk, uh, to work off some of those mashed potatoes calories. Personally I registered my family for a turkey trot race um, some of us are doing the 5k and some of us are doing the one mile fun run so we will be doing some pre Thanksgiving dinner cardio. Hopefully that will start our day off on a somewhat healthy note. Um, But yeah, I'll just go ahead and get back into the interview. Um, Before we do that, just a reminder to leave a review for the podcast wherever you download it and to sign up for the newsletter to get all sorts of extra Book and podcast content and uh, now happy thanksgiving to all of you who celebrate and to those of you that do not officially celebrate thanksgiving um, have a wonderful day just celebrating with your friends and family and giving thanks for all the blessings that we've received um, and with that here is becca sign <music> Welcome to Women with Books. We have an exciting guest today. She is someone who I talk about all the time to other people. <laughs> um, she has a couple of names Becca Syme, also known as R.L. Syme. Welcome, Becca. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so
1: excited to be here.
0: I am so excited to have you too. And honestly, I really do. I mean, my writer friends will tell you that I talk about you like you're in the room all the time. I'm like, well, Becca says, and we'll get into that that more um, later on because you have two, you're a very busy woman. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're an author of Mm -hmm. cozy mystery, small town Mm -hmm. contemporary romance, paranormal romance. Am I missing any genres? Not that are available for sale currently. No. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there are others, but they are not for sale anymore. <laughs> and then
0: you are also a nonfiction consultant, mm-hmm. guide, guru mm-hmm. of the Write Better, Faster Academy. And um so you're just oh 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 and I forgot. We were just talking about it. You're also the co host of the smart marketing podcast. Yeah, Smarty Pants. Smarty Pants. Smarty Pants podcast. Yep. Yeah. So um um, right now, you're just relaxing and chilling on a beach someplace,
1: right? You got nothing oh, to do. Yeah. My ties. I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> there's a cabana somewhere around here. I don't know. Yeah, no. Well, I want to talk about your fiction first. So how did you get started writing? I was one of those kids who like I used to tell stories uh, like um, oral stories, right, to people because I just loved watching the rapt attention of people like when they would just pay attention to you. And I, I remember having these experiences very young where I would like be watching someone while I would tell them a story and I'm like, oh my God, this is crack. I need to do this forever. And um, on some level, I think I've always been doing that either for um, you know, theater, I was in theater, um, in music, in all kinds of things, like just really loving watching people just lose themselves in story and be so happy, I guess, right? like. I feel like we make people feel things as storytellers. And so as a kid, you know, I was a reader and a storyteller. And um, eventually I just kind of started writing my own stuff. And then, you know, I did like the English major and I did, you know, an MFA and all that stuff. And I just really realized that um, I think I'll be doing this on some level forever, writing or telling stories of some kind. Um, forever so I I love it
0: so what was your first genre um, to get involved in (laughs) so
1: this is like the embarrassing moment right on the podcast i'm like oh i feel like i should have my face blacked out and you know have like the, the deep throat voice right um so i i love... don't know people
0: have admitted to some embarrassing oh, things really? around here
1: yeah so i'll, I'll let you know it's probably the least embarrassing but for me <laughs> and it's probably because um i don't know i just romance is is kind of a guilty pleasure, and I know we're not supposed to call it that, but like it definitely was for me. So, I was so into Highlander romance as like a, I mean like a twelve year old, right? Like thirteen. I loved it. Um, and my best friend was a bagpipe player, and so I was like immersed. And I'm Scottish, and you know heritage, um, and I was just immersed all the time in it. And so I just had these like amazing love affairs with Julie Garwood. Um, Highlanders and so my very first book was what I would basically explain as fan fiction of Julie Garwood because I just loved her so much and I wrote at like you know 19 years old I wrote a Highlander romance novel um, that was the first book I completed and because um, I'd started you know a thousand other ones probably but yeah so Highlanders like Men in Kilts I like a guy in a kilt i don't think that's embarrassing at all i know okay, a good. lot of
0: audience members <laughs> out there right now are like yes and uh-huh. um especially with the outlander and yeah. everything now and uh, yeah. time travel romance is such a fantasy well were
1: you writing time travel yeah. fantasy or no just, no i was writing straight like up. historical okay yeah like um medieval historical um so if, if any of you have read the bride the, by yes. Julie Garwood. That is the book that I read that made me write my first book. I just was so in love with that hero. And I, I saw myself as that heroine. And so then I wrote the book that I would have wanted to read, right? Which maybe we all do on some level. But yeah, Highlanders, medieval men and kilts. I know that it's anachronistic that they wouldn't have worn kilts in, you know, 1297, but... You know? Oh see,
0: I didn't even know that. I'm just like going along with your oh. <laughs> your fantasy. That's that's awesome. Yes,
1: welcome to my fantasy, right? <laughs> Men and killed since the beginning of time. <laughs> that's my fantasy.
0: <laughs> oh man, I need to learn something about Scottish history then.
1: Um so
0: so actually I was when I was preparing for this interview, I realized I don't think I've actually talked to very many multi genre authors on here. Mm. Um so I thought readers might be interested in how an author can switch between genres or oh, yeah. you know, how you can go back and forth between two different, I mean, between a paranormal romance and a cozy mystery example, for example.
1: Yeah, for me, it's all about the character, like who the character is. And, and when I write a book, I primarily am writing about a person in a situation. So like, I feel like the characters in my paranormal romance are totally different people than the, than the characters in My Cozy. And so it's kind of like when you sit down across the table from different friends that you have and you have a slightly different experience every time you talk to a different person. So like I have friends who are super into like Buffy and, you know, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer and like Bitten and Supernatural. And like we have totally different conversations and experiences and we do different things than my friends who like really love Sherlock or um, Miss Marple or things like that and then like they're different people so when I write the different genres I really feel like it's so driven by the person that I'm writing that they're just telling a totally different story and so it's easy for me to kind of slip into their voice because they're just a completely different person
0: that is really interesting to hear it described that way i hadn't because i I also dabble in multiple genres Mm. i hadn't ever thought about it that way um does it now one of your series
1: i'm sorry you have another pen name right or uh, a co-writing series i do so i have another pen name and i co-write and it's kind of a secret like i would say oh sorry it's oh no no no. you're (laughs) fine and and I'm very open because I talk about it all the time I talk about the fact that I write paranormal and I would say it's kind of a secret if you super were interested you could figure it out because I write I've written books as a co-writer with both people Mm -hmm. but like I just am not open about it with um the fans in the different genres, mainly because they won't read the the other books.
0: Yeah. Well, and I'm always fascinated with the co-writing process, too. But I can see that's what made me think about it was I can see that if you're comparing this to a dinner party conversation, then a co-writer could probably help you get into a new genre. Oh, yeah. Just because you're having a different conversation all of a sudden.
1: Yeah. And because she already was established in that genre, like when we when I met her and we became friends, she was already had like four series out in the genre and was, you know, and doing very well. And basically I just went along for the ride. I was like, hey, I love this character that you're writing. And it's so funny, this story about how we started writing. I, we wrote in the same town, like a, a whole bunch of us, we all had the same shared um, town cause we were indies. And I had written the character whose book she was writing in one of my books. He was a side character. And when she sent me the book that she was writing, that was his love story. I was like, nope, this is not Adam's book. Like that is not his heroine. This is not. And I'm like, I can tell you you're writing it wrong. And she was like, oh, well, do you want to write it with me? And I was like, yes. Uh-huh. So I, I totally started writing it on accident. And it was because, like, I had written him as the best friend of one of my um, characters in my small town romance series. And he was he happened to be a werewolf. But, of course, that was a secret in the town. And so when I wrote him, he was just a human But it was like he had a personality to me. He was a certain person and the person he would end up with was a certain kind of person. And I was like that this girl is not her. And so we wrote that book together. And then we've written, I think, gosh, on last count, I think we've written almost 20 books together. Um, So, yeah, I love it. It's fun.
0: I forgot, I went in and ch- I, when I was doing research for this and preparing, I went in and checked all the Becca Syme, R.L. Syme books, but
1: I forgot, I just did forget about, um, any oh, co-author yes. names. Yeah. So I forgot secret, to go in and right? check it's that. Like, yeah. Oh, kind um, of, but yeah, you'll know, I mean, in my voice, like if you read, you know, the books that I write as her, you, you'll know it's me.
0: <laughs> do you think authors' voices do change or do you think they stay the same when they switch genres? And do you think readers can tell?
1: I think that most people who write in different genres probably are um, don't sound the same. Like, they mm. probably have a slightly different feel to them. And, and I would say in my historicals are very different from my contemporaries. But inside of my contemporary, I feel like I kind of have a similar voice because of the way I put words together. Um, but... I do think that if you're writing for different genres, um, they're different audiences, like they they want different things. And so even though some of my wording is similar, I would say I do have a different voice in the different genres. Yeah, I think most people probably do.
0: I'm always fascinated by the J.K. Rowling, Robert Galbraith switch, because you will talk to people who will swear that they knew Mm. Or there are people that's like, I figured it out because, you know, oh, you could just tell. And I just really, really don't know how that happened. I think that it's might be revisionist thinking. I'm not sure. Yeah,
1: but that's I what think, I would, well, I would assume. Because there's
0: such different audiences and yeah. such different tones. And yeah. um, like if I just picked up a Robert Galbraith, I would never have thought, well, I suspect that JK Rowling is actually, um, but you never know. I mean, I, it could be possible. Uh, this, some very astute readers who are picking up on things are on their brains are working on a different frequency that, um, Mine is <laughs> perhaps someone more analytical. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> that I just am going along with the flow and someone else is going, well, this author uses this word, you know, this many times per page. And um, I don't know, but um, I like to think that we, us authors are a little bit more magical that we can pull off a little bit more uh, fantasy or uh, misdirection. <laughs>
1: than- I think so. I think, so. especially if you do, If you're aware of what your voice sounds like, you know, I feel like it would be, I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: and I'm also someone who's always very conscious. Like I was just asked a couple weeks ago if I avoid reading books while I'm writing. Mm. And I'm like, I don't avoid reading books. Books. I avoid reading certain voices um, because I'm just more aware of what my voice, how it can shift if I'm reading someone with um, a very strong voice or very similar voice. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, all,
1: all authors are different. Yes. Right. Everyone's different. <laughs>
0: uh, well, what do you personally love to read or what have you been reading lately that you've been loving?
1: Weirdly, I read, I am reading some um, science fiction because I recently met a couple of authors who uh, write in sci-fi. and I haven't read a lot of sci-fi that's come out recently. Like I used to read sci-fi when I was a kid. I used to read everything. Um, and I've loved you know like Ender's game, you know those kinds of things. And I met somebody recently who writes a sort of similar genre of sci-fi that's, that's sort of like Ender's game. And so I started reading his book, and enjoyed it and so now i'm like on the lookout for other books like this um and i'm i'm really i'm not finding a ton yet but um i'm kind of hoping to find more because i really like that uh it's just a very quick paced, you know action like fast book and i really enjoyed it a lot so
0: yeah um, I think I might have some recommendations for you, but oh, I'm trying good. to think of them all. I might have to give them to you afterwards.
1: Oh, good. Yes, <laughs> send me an email. I'd love to see them.
0: Yeah, um, I, and it's not necessarily for me. I know someone else who really likes sci-fi and really gets into it, so um, I think they might have that for you. Oh, but, sweet. Uh, that's I will look that up. And that's the only reason why I'm not like spouting them off right now. I'm sure my yeah. audience is like, um, you always share those, and I'm like, I can't right now because <laughs> they're not necessarily mine, but yeah. Um, What have you been recommending a lot lately to other
1: people? For fiction, yeah, fiction or nonfiction. Um, so non, I'm really into nonfiction this year, and I've been reading a ton of nonfiction. And so I, my favorite book right now that I'm recommending to literally everyone—I mean, in the in the airport and like (sighs) on the plane, like I'm just stopping everyone and being like, you have to read "The Obstacle Is the Way" by Ryan Holiday you absolutely you just have to read it it's like um it is it's mind-blowing but not in a way that's like oh this is not accomplishable because i feel like a lot of books um non-fiction books and we talk about this right in the right better faster classes are like oh well it's applicable to some people but it's not applicable to me because it's it's a system Mm. Right, And so systems are not consistently apply applicable to everyone, but this is really like a way of thinking about life. And I feel like I have yet to meet a person who wouldn't benefit from this. And so I am ju- I'm obsessed with this book, the Obstacle. Oh, okay. I think I've read it six times in the last six weeks.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. I'm that obsessed. Is huge. I'm obsessed.
0: Now I'm, I'm, in the middle of um another ryan holiday book you recommended to
1: me the perennial, oh, yeah, perennial, perennial seller. seller did that come before yeah. or after the obstacle so the perennial seller is his most recent book okay um obstacle is the way is the one he kind of got famous for okay uh, um a while ago he so he used to be he used to work for american apparel um he worked with like um robert green i think and tim growl and some people but um So he was, uh, I'm trying to remember, I mean, 24, 25 or something when he first wrote this book. So it's, Mm. and he is a brilliant, brilliant guy. And, um... So he, he wrote The Perennial Seller much later in life, kind of after he got married and, you know, settled down a little bit. But The Obstacle is the Way became really famous with athletes. Like it kind of has a cult following in the NFL. Hmm. And when I heard about it at first and I read the beginning of it and I'm like and I heard how old this guy was and I'm like wrote him off immediately. Right. I'm like, nope this is going to be ridiculous and oh my goodness I wish I had read it when it came out and I heard about it because it is amazing wow Um, it's 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 changed my life like it's one of those books that I feel like could be a seminal sort of sea change book for people so I love it I love it
0: Okay, well, actually, this is a good starting point for the next part of our conversation because, y'all, if Becca Syme is telling you about this nonfiction book that changed her <laughs> life, you need to listen because, yeah. as I said at the beginning, she is also the founder. I, I call you a guru. I don't know. What's your Aww. official title for Better Faster Academy?
1: CEO um, and thought leader? Or- <laughs> CEO, thought leader. Yeah, I call, I call myself coach, like head coach, right, because okay. I have an athletics background, but head coach at the Better Faster Academy. Um, I'm okay with any of those titles. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about Better Faster Academy. Yeah, so it comes out of my experience working with um, organizational and industrial psychology and basically um, the background that I have with uh, Gallup StrengthsFinder is, is all about how to have the best success that you can have. So um, I I used to be what I would call a a success coach and um, started Fiction writing, <laughs> because that's what you do apparently, um, and well, you I have some free it. time on your hands. I know I had some <laughs> free time. I was like, well, well, I might as well fiction write." And <laughs> um, and then it really got connected with a lot of writers and realized that there were a lot of people out there who hadn't really had the benefit of some of the corporate stuff that happens in in like development, right? Um, and so I started just kind of coaching people because I had this background, and then it just ballooned. I mean, it took off and it's been great. What I get to do now is basically help writers and other people still, cause I still do strengths finder coaching. Um, I get to help people find their best self and like do the thing that they do better than they do anything else and help them do that really well. And that's my, that's my goal. Well, I've
0: taken three courses from you. Um, mm. The one, two, and advanced. I don't know what you're calling them these days. <laughs> um, I went through them when they were still in bet- beta. So yeah. um, you might be yep. changing some of the stuff or some of the names. But yeah. the first time I took it with you, and I really wish I could remember how I heard about it. It must have been someone on Facebook who said something about, oh, this one will teaches your personality um Mm. how to write based on your personality or something like that. That probably would have hooked me in because I've always loved learning about my personality. Mm. And Mm -hmm. um, I took it right on the edge of when I was um, doing a career change. Mm. And I so wished, how many times have I wished that Mm -hmm. I would have taken this when I was in college yeah, or high yep. school or law school. And it would yeah. have helped me so much to have this information about myself yeah. and how to set up a life and a career that really fits who I was made to be. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, thank you for that. But I mean, where
1: were you 20 years ago? I know. <laughs> I think I but, was in college probably,
0: <laughs> but it really makes me, um, you know, now I have kids and a husband, you know, I have a, I've had a husband for a while, but, um, I have these kids and I really want to make sure they get this information. Mm. And like I said at the beginning, yeah. I've been talking about you to other people. And so I was talking you up with another friend of mine and she's like, Oh, what was that? What was that again? And I said, <laughs> strengths finder. Cause that's one of the, um, modalities, tests Mm -hmm. that you use. And she's like, oh yeah, I took that. And she pulled it up on her phone. Her company had made them take it, but she hadn't, they'd they'd taken it, but they hadn't had anyone to coach them through what it meant. Yeah. Um, And so I kind of... Did very rudimentary, you know, like, well, nice. a few things that you're doing. You're doing teaching now. I was very aware that I am not trained. I don't know what I'm talking about, but oh my gosh, your context? Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, but you in these courses um, ask people, or you use, they take several different tests, um, mm-hmm. which they take the MBTI, mm-hmm. which is myers-briggs mm-hmm. am i saying that right and then what else do you have people
1: take so right now we're doing yeah the a union um sort of myers-briggs-ish tests a disc type which is about um, motivation and how you are motivated um specifically at the workplace it's an environmental motivation test um psychometric and then the strengths finder um, and some people take other tests that i've have some experiences with, you know, things like the Enneagram. And I mean, people take all kinds of tests, right? Because the each test was created to test different things. And this is the thing that I think people don't think about enough when they talk about psychometric evaluations, which is the test has a purpose. Like it's specifically trying to test you in a certain area. No one test is comprehensive. And so that's the reason that we Use all of these different um, tests because they tell us different things about how your brain is wired and how you could be successful or stuck, right? Like some people are stuck when they come into class, and we need some of those other tests, like the union test, um, you know, the um, personality test, the environmental motivation test, um, to be able to unstuck them and then get them to a place where the strength finder can really resonate and push them towards, you know, greater success.
0: Yeah. I will say that I think all three together kind of is a magic, yeah. um, that the environmental test was, I didn't get it at first. It took me a little <laughs> while to kind of process it, but, um, and I'm still, you know, it's a process. You're still mm-hmm. working through it. And cause you know, it took me how many years to become this person. And now I have to kind of figure out, which parts I need to pull the strings on and unravel and which parts are good. So, Mm -hmm. um, but the environmental test was kind of very impactful for me since like I have gone, changed careers and now working from home, used to be in the business setting, you know, all this stuff. But for those people out there and we're you focus on doing this for writers, but mm-hmm. what are some resources that if somebody's listening and they're like, oh I would really like that, but I'm not a writer, are there places where they can go to get similar
1: coaching? Oh, they can. I mean they can actually contact me and that's part of why I made the betterfasteracademy.com website is so that it's not just for writers. Like I coach some entrepreneurs, I coach some like vestige clients that I've coached um since I started. Um, and so, you know, corporations, nonprofits, businesses, um, individuals, um, business owners, entrepreneurs, teachers, um, pastors, coaches, I mean, everybody. So if, if you want to learn more, you absolutely can come to the website and contact me through there and and I can talk to you more about it. I'm hoping at some point, hoping to be able to do a better, faster version of like a write better, faster. That is not for writers. That is actually just for like anyone that can take it. So, um, that's my hope. I think that might still be about a year out cause I've got to figure out how to do that verbiage. But, um, but yeah, absolutely. And there are other strengths coaches. If you're interested in primarily in success coaching and StrengthsFinder, um, there are you know, at least a thousand of us, I think there might be more.
0: Wow. And I'll put the information to your website in the show notes, of course. Um, but as I said, I've taken three classes from you from the Mm -hmm. Better Faster Academy. And there was one concept in particular that sort of blew my mind and I thought Mm -hmm. would be really interesting to discuss for readers and writers. Mm. And I've actually already talked about this, I think with, um, a guest who's coming up on a future episode, who is also oh, cool. one of your students, oh, uh, Ronnie Lauren, and I I think kind of touched on this because she had done a blog post about it. But can I ask you
1: to explain your reader wheels? Yes. Uh, theory. Yes. yes. So basically, it comes out of the way that um, how we are all different. So if you if you think of you know something like the Meyer Briggs, where there's four different you know um, scales that they grade you on. So there's 16 different types that you could be something like the disc where there's four different areas, something like strengths finder where there's 34, like there are all of these ways that we are so different psychologically from each other, but we're consistently different. (laughs) Like there is a huge pattern to the ways that we're different. So we're not just randomly unique. We're actually Um, Pattern, unique in a patterned way. And so my first thought was, I'm seeing some really consistent comments and feedback and thoughts from readers that are using keywords, I would say, um, that are keywords that I watch for inside of my class to see whether a student has a certain type of personality. So for instance, um, like from the disc, there's compliance, right? So compliance is the ability to tell whether things are right or not and how, how refined that sense is. There are certain phrases that high compliance people will use without realizing it because they just care so much about compliance. And so what I was noticing was, as I was reading reviews and talking to readers, like there were some consistent patterns to the way that readers would use that language in reviews. And I thought. I wonder if there is a predictable way to tell what reader expectations are based on sort of like their personality. So reader wheels is a little bit of reader psychology, I think in some ways. And the basic concept is there are predictable, consistent patterns inside of genres that have something to do with personality. They're not only personality based um, because they're also you know, preference based and stuff like that. But but there are some consistent <clears throat> excuse me, patterns psychologically to the way that readers like things or have expectations.
0: So could you um, give us an example like paranormal readers? Yeah. They would all like the same things in their books? Or they're so, drawn to the same things? So
1: the reason that paranormal exists is as a as a category is not because some random person a hundred years ago said, "Hey, we should have paranormal romance." It's because publishers noticed, and marketers really were probably the ones who noticed that certain readers would have certain expectations in common, and those expectations became the genres. They didn't just get, you know what I mean? Like, they didn't just get randomly assigned categories. Like, they were actually noticed patterns of reader preference that had developed because similar readers liked similar stories. And so the genre expectations, and what we talk about in craft as you know tropes or reader expectations or reader psychology they're actually patterns that already exist that we're just naming so it's not like people are not conscious that they're doing this it's sort of the same way that um, you know certain people are attracted to certain colors and they will naturally tend to click on or move toward those colors when they see them or be happier around them that's really what it, more what it's like is that it's a subconscious preference so of how readers can,
0: if I'm a reader out there and I'm going to the bookstore or the library to find a new book how can I know how can I use this idea to help me find a, a new book that I would like
1: So some of it is innate. Like some of it is the marketers have trained you to look for certain things on your books because they know so much about you. So if you've ever, if you've ever seen 30 rock, have you seen that show? Yeah. Oh, I love it. So, you know, in the very first episode when Liz and Jack sit down for the very first time and Jack starts telling her like oh you're something 30 something and you you know never use your oven and every year you pick up knitting for and then he calculates in his head and he's like oh a month you know and he's and she's like how do you know all this stuff about me this is so crazy and i'm like it's market research like People who study the market and they study the psychology of purchasing, the psychology of selling, they know things about people's brains that you don't even know about yourself. Like, you know, Facebook is a perfect example. When Facebook makes changes in their platform, it's because they have a team of psychologists that is studying what you like and don't like and what will make you be in um, inside of facebook longer right so it's all subconscious patterning and you are attracted to things because and not because the marketers have pushed you in that direction but kind of because they know what to put on the cover that will make you pick it up
0: right so if you have you look at your bookshelf and you see a lot of covers with cats and cupcakes on them yep that should be a signal to you that you
1: like uh, small town or, um, yeah. So like coziness or coziness, <laughs> yeah, like stability. So that's a big thing with certain genres, right. Is the, there's a projection of an underlying, um, value underneath those pictures. So if you are, um, you know, if I'm looking at a cover of a cozy mystery, I want it to have an emotive quality to it that is projecting something that will make the reader feel a certain thing, even though they don't know it. So like stability is a big one in small town romance. And if you, for instance, if you ever go and look at the covers of a Harlequin, like small town romance or the Harlequin love inspired books, Mm -hmm. you can see even in the colors in the way that the postures are of the people, they promote this feeling of stability and of, you know, almost like almost like responsibility. It's like there's this, there's an emotion that's being evoked from that. Um, And so as a reader, I think too, being aware of when a book doesn't meet your expectations, what exactly was it about the book that made you feel like you didn't like it? Was it? And sometimes it's things like, you know, they they just weren't interesting enough or that they told too much or, you know, there's all these different things that could be. But the more aware you are as a reader, then the more you can look for exactly what it is that you want, especially digitally, because marketers are really savvy about knowing those keywords, the psychology of selling again, to help you figure out how to find the right books to buy.
0: Yeah, and And this happens- in
1: reviews is the big place. Like I would watch the reviews more than the blurbs.
0: Yeah, and this was really fascinating to me as I came into the publishing field. um, And it took me a few years to really grasp how much this was going on and to be okay with it. You know, that this was a good thing. You know, that why does every Jill Shalvis cover have a dog on it? Or all of a sudden, every Harlequin book and title has something to do with a baby, um, or a pregnancy, you know, like why, why are they doing that? And it's not, um, I don't know my inner artiste is going yeah. but it's to <laughs> satisfy the reader and so yep. if you and, and to me that ultimately is really empowering yeah. That i when you own your reader preferences yep. i want a book with a baby and a dog because yep. those things make me happy that is what i like to do on a sunday afternoon um once you own that then you can find more books that satisfy Yep. Um, and I think it's really interesting because I talked to I have said it for a long time and I talked to a lot of readers who will say, oh, I read anything. I'll read everything. And after doing this podcast for a while, I don't think that's true.
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that having wide interests, right, is different from actually wanting to read anything because there still are things that most people won't pick up. Unless they really have a desire to read that thing. And that's okay. Like, I think it's okay. It's okay to know that I have preferences. Like, there's nothing wrong with having preferences. Right. Um, But yeah, the, the true person who really does read absolutely everything is rare because they tend to like certain things about their reading experience. Like, for instance, this is when we talk about a lot in, in Write Better Faster is um, even inside of romance, how alpha is the hero is a question in, in one of the reader wheels. And so the reader wheels are weighted and by importance. So like the number one reader wheel versus the number 700, right? And in certain subgenres of romance, how alpha is the hero is not a question that those readers care about. Like in some genres, it's number two or three. It's super important. But in some subgenres, it's just not important. And then similarly, in some non-romance genres, one of the main reader questions is, is the main character male? And there's this feeling like somehow, well, they, but they should be reading x and i'm like well yeah you can say that all day we would love it if everyone read everything but in order for that to change something about their internal psychology has to change it's not like you can force someone to enjoy something that they don't enjoy you can't you can teach them absolutely but then you have to do it in more subtly right and it's different but but the reader wheels are something that you can't intentionally change. They change over time. So like how feminist is the heroine or how feminist is the story wasn't a reader wheel 100 years ago. And now it is. And, mm-hmm. and in, in some genres, it's much higher than in other genres. But it's they've changed over time because people have changed over time. And so like in wanting books to reflect culture or change culture then it's important to know like there are some things that i need to still honor about those genres and then there are some things that don't matter like you know whether or not a um a heroine has a baby right and that is not a signal the way that it used to be that she is you know a certain kind of person or whatever it's not Mm -hmm. a signal anymore and so the the ways that reader wheels take shape have so much to do with what people have in common psychologically and so in order to help change people like in order to help change genres we have to change people as well so it's like it's a mindset shift but um
0: Yeah. Yeah, And Sarah Wendell uses the word catnip on her podcast to describe this. I think, I think she talks about like, Oh, this is my catnip. That's not my thing. That's your thing. And, um, and I think that's kind of getting towards the same thing. Like I like this type of hero. You like that type of hero. Um, a lot of people will be like, Oh, secret baby. That's my thing. Enemies to lovers. That's it. And, And so this has just all been really fascinating to me since I've learned it in your class and trying to really work through what I like to read and what I should be writing as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like the flip side of it. If you're a writer, Mm -hmm. um, what...
1: What does my audience have in common?
0: What does my audience have in common and how does that mesh with my personal catnip, if you will? Um, Yeah.
1: Do you think more authors should be clearer about what's in their books, though? I don't know. I mean, so some authors write super intuitively and they just do this without thinking about it. Right. Because they're essentially and, and I talk to authors like this all the time. They've been reading paranormal since they were 14 and they love paranormal romance and they breathe it. Right. They don't need to know what the reader wheels are for paranormal romance because they just are they are a fan and so they're writing books to please themselves and then they're going to be you know, more likely to please that genre. Where it becomes more important, I think, is when you're making a decision to write in a genre that you don't read in and then assuming that everyone's expectations are the same in every genre. So I see this a lot in people who will be like, oh, these books are so crappy. I could write a better book than this at a heartbeat, and I'm just going to go and make a million dollars in this genre. And then they don't, and they don't know why. And I'm like, well, it's because you didn't meet the reader wheels. Like you're not meeting reader expectations. You're meeting your own, but you don't have anything in common with those readers. I mean, not life in common, but psychologically in common, because especially in romance, the whole point of reading romance is that you have a fantasy, a particular fantasy that you are reading about. And so if if I don't meet that expectation, then you're not going to read, you're not going to like my book.
0: Do you think that, so I, I mentioned her earlier, and I'm not sure exactly when her podcast is going to come out, but Ronnie Lauren wrote a blog post where she was like, if you like these things, you'll like my books. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I don't know, gave eight things or something, and I can put that link in the show notes. But do you think
1: more re- authors should kind of spell that out for their readers or for people? I think it'd be great if they could access it. Like not everybody can access their, what their consistent pattern is. And part of with Ronnie is like, she's not only self-aware, but she's also has found she like, she's been writing for a long time. So she's found her spot and she's got a really good sense for what is, what expectations she can and can't meet for people because of what she likes about her stories. Right. So when you have someone like that, who's really aware and also has been writing for a long time, then yeah, the more clear you can be the better, but, but some writers are young in their experience or, um, you know, they've been genre jumping like I did. And so they may not be aware yet of what their consistent promises is. But yeah, that's something that I think would be great to know about yourself because um, but the cool thing is, if you write consistently, readers will be able to tell you because they will be like, oh, I cannot get enough of, you know, like George R. R. Martin, right? Like I could tell you what his promises are. Almost anybody who reads his books could because they're so consistent. And so he doesn't need to tell me that. He just needs to be himself. But I can Man tell you to as a write reader, is what he needs to do. He needs to write, please, George, for <laughs> the love of God, just write, stop farting around and just it's write. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. You said it and it triggered me. <laughs> I know me too. <laughs> like, um, so, we're not
0: talking about him right now. <laughs> come on,
1: writers, get focused writers. I mean, and, and, but that's the great thing is if you have fans, your fans can tell you what they love about your books because there is a, there's a psychological thing, either it's a preference or an urge or some personality that's drawing them to like your stuff and they can tell you what they like about you and they put it in your reviews and then you watch your reviews and see of what are they highlighting all the time. And That's probably what your brand promises.
0: Mm. That is scary. <laughs> <laughs> don't read your reviews. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can I pay someone else to figure that out for me? I'll read that for okay. you. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Yeah, I just, I find this has obviously been something I've been doing a lot of thinking about, which, mm-hmm. you know, I like to think. And um, I like to talk about it too, because... Um, you know, I, I would love to hear from, if you're listening to this podcast and you have thoughts on this, I would love to continue this conversation with readers as well. Like, would this be something that you'd be interested in more authors talking about, or does this kind of take the fun away? You know, that's the other
1: devil's advocate. Yeah. Thing. It's, it's like, the analysis too much, right? Yeah. Like, cause that's a real thing. Like, and I talk to a lot of authors who are like, Oh, I don't want to think about that. You know, I just want to write books. I'm like, that's Okay. Because if you're intuitively doing this, but when it does become an issue is when they are not having success and they don't understand why. And then you look at the fact that they're breaking these tropes and breaking these promises and not fulfilling reader expectations that are pretty consistently known inside the genre. And then they're wondering why they're not selling. And I'm like, that's, that's why that's literally why it's not, you're not a good, it's not that you're not a good writer. It's that you're, not this is maybe not your genre, you know, or some version of that. So yeah,
0: yeah. And that's why I I also I think because I do this podcast, and we are always recommending books and, Mm. and just thinking about whether or not that's I mean, I think it's always going to be worthwhile, always worthwhile to point out what you love and why you loved it. But then getting the other side of the conversation to be like, oh, I'm hearing you. That's why you loved it. I will not enjoy that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And and that is empowering. Like I can cross that book off my TBR list and go to the next thing that I'm going to love. Um yeah, so fascinating. Thank you for talking about all that. Oh, um, sure. I could obviously go on with it forever. Yeah. But I do, <laughs> the too. next thing, though, is that I do want to talk about is your next um, book is going to be a nonfiction book. Yeah. Coming out in January. Is that right? Yeah,
1: I think the end of January it's going to be out. Um, it's probably going to be up on pre order uh, more likely than not by the time this podcast airs. Although this is the official first time I'm talking about it in public, but it will also be, um, I'm talking about it in a podcast next week that I think is airing live. And so uh, okay. on Halloween, and so they will be, um, they will be announcing it first, but That's this is boring. the official first time that okay. I'm talking about it. In <laughs> I still
0: feel important. Yes, you um, are so
1: important. This what's is it called?
0: And when I get this out, I will also put the link to that in my show notes too, if the pre-order link is up. So uh, what's it called and what's
1: it about? So it is called, (laughs) it is called Dear Writer, You Need to Quit. Ouch. Ouch. I know. (laughs) I know. I cannot tell you. And of course, any of you who are marketers out there, uh, using the Q word is not, I mean, my, my mom, who's a marketer, was like, you cannot Call it that. Um, It's not. And I'm like, oh, but it's so that is exactly what my message is, is not you need to quit writing, although some people do, but they're not the people who think they need to quit writing, unfortunately. Um, But (laughs) dear writer, you need to quit is about all the things that you need to quit. Like the tagline is what to keep, what to quit and what to question. Um, because we assimilate so much and we don't know we're assimilating it because it's happening subconsciously and we're assimilating other people's expectations and all these things. We are not, um, the bosses of our own brains most of the time and it's not our fault. It's just the way that the, it's the way that things are right now in the age that we live in. And so a lot of what this book is about is, um, you know, what are the things that you shouldn't be doing? What are the things that you should automatically question when you hear them? Um, what are the things you need to keep doing that you're afraid you need to quit doing? So it's a really, um, it's kind of a, I would call it a brain hack book. Um, that's kind of the the purpose.
0: I cannot wait.
1: That's and I've taken fun.
0: three of your courses and I'm still like, I'm probably going to need some tough love from Becca. <sighs> on my bookshelf <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I can get it anytime I need it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that sounds really great. And I think it sounds like really good lessons for people who even aren't writers though too, because that whole thing about you've yeah. assimilated things, you've assimilated yep. assumptions about success or what it takes. Yep. And, um, and we don't realize it until, I don't know, when do you think most people realize that is it cause it's not working for them?
1: Yeah. Usually they don't realize when bro- it until when they're broken down and yeah.
0: clutching it, a bottle of vodka.
1: And... Yes. <laughs> well, either it takes that, but even then sometimes they don't realize it because most people don't realize it until somebody holds a mirror up to them, which is mm-hmm. what coaches do. Right. Like we mm-hmm. ask questions. And so, so here's a really common one that I see that is applicable to anybody, whether they're a writer or not. Like, everybody reaches for their phone the first thing in the morning and they don't even realize that they're doing it most of the time they just reach for it. it's on their bedside table and there's an assumption i can't tell you how many posts i read on facebook that's the what where they say i had these great plans to get all this stuff done but i found myself on facebook and i don't know what happened and I'm like, did you ever think about not going on Facebook? Like, cause you just <laughs> named your own problem when you told me about it. And they don't, but they don't hear it because they didn't make a conscious choice to go on Facebook. They're making a subconscious choice. They're reaching for their phone the first thing in the morning because it is a subconscious urge that they're not aware that they're feeling and they didn't make a conscious choice to do it. So they aren't aware that they can choose not to. And that is the primary thing that, that we all do that most of us don't realize is that where we get derailed is when we ac- accept the assumption that we should be going on Facebook at all or that we should be picking up our phone in the morning, that that is a good thing for us to do. And what I always say in my workshops is Facebook is not your friend. Twitter is not your friend. Instagram is not your friend. Email is not your friend. Don't think about them like they're value neutral. They are time stealers. Like you have to change the way that you think about them. They're not harmless. Yeah. When I had
0: had my corporate job, I, um, you know, I'd started reading. uh, Things were just so busy and I was becoming overloaded. And I'd read a couple of productivity hack articles or books that was like, you need to unplug, you have to, you know, not be available and to focus on getting your job done. So I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do that. And I remember the time I told my boss, um, I'm going to be working from home and I'm going to turn off the internet. And he looked at me like I had grown two additional heads. He's like, you can't, you can't do that. I'm like, no, 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 I can. Um, I'll have my phone next to me if you want to call me. Yep to talk to me about something but yep. um so I'm, I'm constantly available to you which is another probably f- assumption fallacy thing yes, that we do have fallacy. to be constantly available but i was like yeah. willing to say you can call me if you need to talk to me but i'm turning off my phone or my internet yep. and um he seriously told me you can do it but don't tell anyone else you're doing it right Yeah. I mean, and I was like, but I have these articles, these, these are professional people that are telling me I should do it this way. And it even got to the point where I could, um, I coded my email to people I could wait on and people I couldn't wait on Yeah, because there were some people in my office that if I got an email from them and I did not respond within, you know, a certain amount of time, there would be, you know, a huge blow up, but you know, most people could, They like to think that I would be getting back to them right away. Like, that's their assumptions. But Mm -hmm. then they, it turns out they really are okay with an hour or two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's so many of those assumptions and fallacies that I think we all have these days. I've had people get mad at me when they couldn't reach me. Yep. Um. And I'm like, well, I'm here. I just won't be answering that email until, you know, my email time. And yep. um, I'm not, I'm not perfect at it. As you know, I need to get better, but I, I do think these are powerful, powerful examinations for everyone to look at, not just writers. Yeah. Um, But thank you for bringing this information and this coaching to the world and for people who need to hear it. And I hope more people find their way to you or to coaches like you who can help you discover what they need to be doing and how they need to be doing it.
1: Yes, I that is my favorite thing. I was telling somebody last night I was talking to another coach. And we were kind of both saying, like, I can't believe that people pay us to do this because it is so fun for me. Like, I just love it. It is I get exhilarated every time I talk to somebody and I hear that moment in their voice when they're like, oh, my gosh, this is going to change my life. I never thought about that before that way. And I'm like, right, right. Because I've been there mm-hmm. like I've been in that place where I also needed a mirror and I, and I got it at the right time from the right person. And, and I love being able to hold that mirror up for other people so they can look at themselves and see like, Oh, right. I can't change all the things I can't, you know, um, reach for my phone and expect to still be productive all day. I can't do these things like, okay, now I'm in control. And cause that's what I want to produce. And I say this a lot about my business. Like I don't want to be someone's like long-term crutch like I don't want to be someone's um you know I, and I don't want to be people's therapists like I want I'm that's not what I am that's not what you're I'm good a tor- at. you're a horrible therapist I'm then. an awful therapist <laughs> I would be awful I would be legitimately awful which is my sister is that's her arena she's awesome at it I suck um as a, and I as say least.
0: this because yeah. Becca is more likely to hear your problem be like okay what are you gonna do about it yeah. And do
1: that. Go do well, that. And be like, okay, well, here's your problem. This is why yeah. this is happening. Now, what are you going to do about it? Right. Uh, right? Because I'm and an that would
0: be my time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, right.
0: Well, I but, think what's also yeah. awesome about this is that it releases you from the guilt and stress. If you can't make something work and then you realize, oh, I couldn't make that work because I'm just not wired to do that. Yep. Or... Because I function better in this type of environment. Yeah. And suddenly you can go, oh, and it's just like this weight comes off your shoulders. Yeah. It empowers you. Yeah. Oh, I don't have to be nice to all those people.
1: Oh, Yep. Yep. (laughs) Like I want to make better decision makers. Right. Because ultimately in the long run, your knowledge is what I can give you. And then you take that knowledge and you go and apply it somewhere because you have you can see yourself in a way that you didn't see before. And then I want you to go and make better choices in your life and and then tell me about them because I want to hear about them. But like the primary thing is I want you to go away feeling like you have the power to be successful by yourself, like on your own. And that's my that's my goal. Better well, decision if, makers.
0: If this resonates with anyone, um, please go talk to Becca at better. Yes. Is it better faster Academy, better doc- faster Academy.com.
1: Um, the better faster Academy on Facebook.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that'd be great. And that's where they can find information about your classes and your books and, um, your just general knowledge and wisdom. Yes. Do you have a f- quick moment for the lightning round? Yes. Yes. Lightning. Okay. Round. All right. Whew. I got to get focused. <gasps> okay. So hang on. Let me... shoot, shoot these questions at you. Okay. Let me, okay. I'm ready. All right. Dark or milk chocolate? Dark. Coffee or tea? Tea. When your phone rings, do you answer it? No. Oh, this is a good one. How do you usually waste time on the
1: internet, Becca? Oh, gosh. I mean, everywhere. Facebook. <laughs> So it's my favorite place to waste time right now, unfortunately is in my email inbox because it is like out of control. Um, and then I just go in a rabbit hole because I'm avoiding the essential pain of my inbox. But I would say oh. normally probably Facebook. Yeah. Yeah.
0: See, even experts have to know. deal with the psychology
1: of Facebook. It's awful. I am such a slave to Facebook.
0: Ugh. It, it needs to go. It needs it to be burned down. I wouldn't yeah. cry. um, on your next vacation, will it be to the mountains or the beach? Oh well, I live in the
1: mountains, so but I don't really like the beach very much. Um, I'm not a beach person. I love looking at the beach from the road. Um, <laughs> so, like, I love California. Coronado is my favorite beach because I can kind of stand back and just look at it and be watch the ocean. So, um, but my my next vacation actually will be to Phoenix. And so it'll be to the desert. So let's say maybe neither. (laughs) Mountains-ish. Yeah. Do you call it soda or pop? Oh,
0: soda. I wasn't sure about uh, where your geographic location was. Yeah, where I
1: grew up, they call it pop. Um, like, because I grew up close to the North Dakota border and they call it, definitely call it pop over there. But I call it soda. I think I've lived in the Bozeman area for too long.
0: (laughs) Interesting. On a romance cover... Would you prefer seeing abs,
1: forearms, or a chiseled jaw? Oh, can I can I say back instead? Oh, yeah. Like, seriously, I have a thing about backs. I'd love a good back. And there are not enough backs on book covers. So my very first book, I was like, you know what? Everybody else is doing abs. I'm going to do a back. And I'll tell you, that book is my best seller ever. Interesting reader best. wheel right there. I know, right? What does that say about me that I don't want to look a guy in the face? I want to look at his back, right? <laughs> Probably yeah. something that you don't want to know.
0: <laughs> no, I'd love to hear from other readers if y'all also want a back. We could oh, I be love uh, predicting this new oh, trend
1: here. They're so beautiful. They're just beautiful.
0: Okay. Are you more likely to buy a book cover with abs on it
1: or a beach scene? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I mean, I would probably say neither, um, mainly because in, in yeah. stores, like if I'm yeah. in a bookstore, I feel like I can't pick up ab books, right? Oh. I don't want to carry them around, um, You'll be and have picking people picking up, up at that him. nonfiction stuff. Yeah. I pick up the nonfiction, which is <laughs> abless. Um, but I don't, I just don't like beach books. Yeah. But so I, if I had to choose, I probably would say abs though. Yeah. Okay. And very important, last question.
0: Okay. what are your feelings about turning to the last page of a book first?
1: Oh, never. Uh-uh. No, the best part. and I know everybody's different in this, but the best part for me is the anticipation. Like I am a hundred percent tension anticipation person. So I never, ever want to know what's going to happen at the end, even if it is total surprise like I want to be surprised. And so what if yeah, it's a
0: nonfiction never. book and they say all the secrets are on the last page. Would you still go through
1: it all? Um, it depends on how much I trust the author, mm-hmm. like for a Seth Godin, a Malcolm Gladwell, a Ryan holiday, um, a Robert green, like I'll wait. Right. Cause I'm like, Nope, the journey's worth it. Yeah. Um, for somebody I don't know, I probably would skip to the end if if it's not engaging, just cause I want to see if the end is any good, but then I probably won't go back and read the rest of it. Cause it probably won't be worth it.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Becca, for being yeah. on. I knew this was going to be a great conversation and yeah. it makes me so happy to share um, your thoughts and wisdom with, with the world. Thank you Yay. very much. Thank you for having me. I
1: had a blast.